Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, the Independence Edition, where we shine the spotlight on positive developments since independence in 1962 and the way forward for Jamaica. We also highlight positive happenings, activities, projects and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica, the Independence Edition is powered by JN Bank. My guest is Dr. Charlene Sharp, educator and public policy analyst. She's an associate vice president of Northern Caribbean University in Jamaica. Welcome to the program, Dr. Sharp. Thank you so very much, Baron. It is my pleasure to be here. Dr. Sharp, on the occasion of Jamaica celebrating its 60th anniversary as a nation, looking a decade ahead, what is your vision of society and the nation? A decade ahead? I would probably want to look another 50 years ahead. But, um, <laughs> a decade ahead. Let me see. One, I would want as a nation for us to remain resilient. You know, we're little about Talawa. So as much as I know there are so many things wrong, I'd probably want to start us by just looking at our sense of resiliency. Jamaica is a site of resilience more than it is a site for vulnerability per se. If you look at just this, this, the size of Jamaica, if you look at things, uh, you know, national pride, just seeing persons celebrating as we are now, what our athletes are accomplishing, what our musicians would have accomplished, you know, what food-wise. If you look, for example, at what we have done culturally, remember, you know, Jamaica does not have any military might. It is not a colonizing power. It is not an island with great economic wealth, you know, the island we can arguably say uh, probably would, I don't know, most profoundly impact the world culturally. So we are punching above our, our weight. You know, when you look at countries of comparable size, I don't know, I think for me, just remaining a resilient state is going to be so important. You know, we can therefore challenge this, this view out there that globalization is a one-way flow, you know, this unidirectional flow, the Americas, the Europeans, the everybody else influences us. We're influence, influencing us, we're influencing others too. So off the bat, we have some good things happening here uh, in Jamaica. But my vision, my vision, my vision, where would I start? I probably would want to think that as Jamaica prepares to celebrate 60 years of being a modern state or maybe a postmodern state, we are being given an opportunity to rethink our path, rethink our development, and as we do that, we can, you know, reflect and we can ask critical questions, you know, have our development processes benefited the people or have the people shaped our development processes and therefore we are where we are now. We can ask, you know, what are, what are the forces that are shaping the core values? I think that is where my pet peeve is. Our core values have changed so drastically. And therefore, what we're seeing as a nation, what we're experiencing, the pains that we're going through, simply because our core values have changed. 
So my vision is for us to begin to have these sorts of conversations to solidify who we are as a nation. I want to take you up a little bit on the matter of core values, because when you say core values, um, you know, the whole thing, discussion about values, we, we tend to um, not, don't, we're not so uh, unified on it. What would you say, you know, is the basic uh, quality or makeup of our core value, our core values? What, what are we talking about? Well, you see, that is, that is the critical question that I want us to be discussing as a people. Where would we really start that sort of, of discussion? If we look at where Jamaica is now, I read recently where we had the second largest brain drain figure in the world. You know, you're looking at Jamaica being murder capital, you're looking at the crime, you're looking at the jacket syndrome, so many things that are core to our values seem to be out of work. You know, the metrics on these social value issues are not so positive. So we can do the research and we can look at other nations and we can copy the varying approaches and, you know, all these things that persons have put in place. But are we at the point in Jamaica where we are willing to look again, as you have asked, and what should be that basket of core? We have, we tend to say out of many, one people. But we are now at a, a point I'm thinking where we are in existential concerns. You know, there is this larger philosophical question that is going around in my, in my headspace. Who are we as Jamaicans? And I think that's the big 30,000 feet picture of Jamaica that I want us to, to really grapple, I want us to look at. Can we gain consensus as to, to Jamaica's identity and who Jamaica should be, you know, what should we be? And even if we cannot do that, can we decide then on what, on, on what is not acceptable in our culture? How can we raise better Jamaicans? That's a part of the question that, that I'm grappling with on a daily basis, just seeing what is happening in our society. You know, there was a time when we considered Jamaica to be a, a Christian nation, you know, the eternal father bless our land type nation. But we are throwing that through the door. We, we're becoming more secular. I see many Eastern practices being advertised on our television. You know, there's so many things that I'm seeing happening. And to, to, to some extent, even though we have not all identified as Christians, but as a society, the, there are certain norms or certain rules of behavior that we committed to that would suggest that we were willing to adhere, you know, to certain common, to a common value system or a common core set of values, whatever those were coming from a biblical perspective. You know, the, 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 the thou shalt not, and the, these are the things that we do, how we treat each other, how, how we treat authority. Right now, all of that has changed in Jamaica and we have not settled and what the new Jamaica could possibly be. So this, this postmodern world has rejected for the most part the, the value system that I grew up with and I'm a child of the 70s, right? 
And we are seeing the same sort of rejection in Jamaica. And as the diaspora widens and deepens, we, we are no longer this out of many one. It's more like out of many a very splintered people, you know. And the splintering is manifesting itself in our social behavior. It is manifesting itself in our interaction with each other, our interaction with the state how we disregard authority and laws and rules, you know, is, is, is that indiscipline in the society. I guess this behavior spills over into how we treat with the market, the marketplace, you know, or economic and or financial space. Because as you can imagine, our, our political space or economic space or social space all carry with them they all carry their own behavioral patterns and they're all interconnected. And as we are experiencing some sort of what I'd probably consider dislocation, some sort of dislocation in the opportunities that are there economically for a large percentage of our people, you know, as the middle class itself contracts. And I don't know if the middle class is contracting as maybe it is that the middle class is rethinking, or, or as a nation, we're rethinking what the middle class looks like. But I want to hold you there, Doc, because so far, it seems to me what I'm getting from you is that at age 60, Jamaica is, my word, is in an identity crisis. Yes, yes, yes. That's and, 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 and you're saying that we perhaps need to pause and take some time to work out um because because you're saying some of the old values are not there and we're not even certain of what values we are following now and so your vision is that we need to pause come together and define or redefine um what are these core values that 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 becomes um i i identify as for us as we move forward is is that what you're saying that's right and you're saying it even better than i could say it that is exactly what i'm saying you see the value system is changing. And the value system that I grew up knowing and that many of us in the society would have been exposed to would, or, or would have been shaped by was attached to a particular power structure. And this power structure was attached to a particular economic structure you know, to who owned what. And that was mainly not the darker skinned persons within our society for the most part, you know, yet still we're in a predominantly black society. But all of that apple cart is being toppled. And what we're seeing now, who now has power in quotation because of how the economics would have changed considerably persons are not necessarily using the traditional means of gaining wealth. And with this wealth accumulation that we're seeing by various groupings within the society, we're not necessarily seeing uh, an associated uh, sense of responsibility, an associated sense of um, that comes with the, the wealth, you know, how persons ought to behave responsibly. We're not seeing any of those yeah. things, you know. So we, we're operating, to me, 
chaka chaka, you know, the, <laughs> as a society. So, some things just not adding up. You know, when the Bible okay. says, you know, in the last days, we're going to say some of these things, you know, lovers of themselves, men being lovers of themselves and ungrateful and proud and disobedient and put power on top of that. And how do you have the influencers within our society who are not necessarily persons of authority? The persons of authority are not necessarily persons who have the power. And then the persons who have the power, the persons who are influencing the society are not necessarily persons you can reason with at times and not necessarily persons who have Jamaica's interest at heart at times. So, so, so I'm going to put you on the spot. So as we speak, what are some of the and well, well this is your this is this is your your interview your views you're asking for so what are some of the things you would like to see mm -hmm. uh making up this 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 redefined core values going forward what are some of the things that you would like to see some of the qualities the ingredients of this um core, new core value going forward You've been, you've been mentioning them along the way, but just for the sake of our listeners, can you just say one, two, three, four, five? One, two, three, four, five. Uh, let me see. Now. So I'm thinking though that any, any vision for Jamaica must be one that speaks to building a socially cohesive society. Uh -huh. I think any vision for Jamaica must be one that We'll be looking at living in a safe environment, or you know, one with social accountability. I, I don't think we understand how macro level social happenings impact on micro level things and vice versa, you know, and how in all of these happenings, persons at the macro level, even at the micro level. What are the things that they are, they are embracing that's positive about Jamaica versus what are the things that we'd want them to also embrace about Jamaica? So core values, you know, trust as a simple value. Or we've seen studies coming out where the trust quotient in Jamaica is, is dismal. It is non-existent. People just don't trust each other. It's not found within the family circles. It is not found within the workplace. This notion of bad mind, this it, is just so much that is happening within our, within our society. You know, the trust deficit is just too great. Um, we're talking about positive civic activism we're not seeing a lot of that you know how do we build some of these these sorts of values everybody needs to have a voice you know the social accountability everybody needs to have a voice but what role is it that our institutions are playing for example the media you know what role are media practitioners playing and will play to ensure that uh, we have this, this, this social cohesion and this safe environment that we, we want. And it's not just the media, to be all of the agents of socialization or agents of socialization. Are, it's as though they've, they've lost their, their power. These, social, these agents of socialization, the family, the school, the church, name it, it's as though they are ineffective or maybe they are effectively doing the new culture 
that mm-hmm. will create implosion. I'm, I'm fearful for my society that within another <laughs> 10, 20 years, we are going to implode if something uh, drastic isn't done and done quickly. I remember reading an MPhil thesis some time ago, you know, some time ago is a long time ago, because I think I figure this thesis was done by Stephen Rodriguez, probably sometime in the 90s or so. And Rodriguez, I remember one of the questions he had asked back then is what made Jamaicans proud? And interestingly, we're talking about some 30 years later. It is our athletes, it is our culture, the reggae, the food, etc. But it was never our institutions, it was never our laws, it was never the government, it was never the constitution, you know, it was never any of these uh, structures that shape a society. Those are not the things really that made Jamaicans proud. But Jamaicans are considered to be extremely proud of our little island state and of what it is that we have achieved culturally. But then we still have the second largest brain drain. There is some, some, something not adding up here. You, you so love your nation that you have to leave. It means that something is happening at another level that we're not dealing with mm-hmm. as a nation. Why are some of our brightest and our best have decided that they cannot, they cannot stay here. They cannot stay here. So we have to be looking at our hospitals. We have to be looking at our schools. We have to be looking at what is happening because the reality is where we are now, what we call, it's what we call the entitlement benefits. You know, where our elderly persons are concerned because you can actually chart the development and the prosperity of a nation you know, by looking at how that nation treats its elderly, how it treats the children, how it treats the poor. You can look at these. And being a child of the 70s, it means that persons in my age group, we are coming up on 50 soon, and some probably are already 50. But it's that generation that will soon be hitting 50. It means that most of our parents are still alive. It means that our parents' generation with those that would have given the 33 and a third years that we had demanded back then for service to the nation. You know, many of them were loyal civil servants. But now that they are 60, now that, well, they're more than 60, now that they are 70s, in their 70s and the 80s or whatever those figures are, how are we as a nation moving forward? How will we be able to deal with this new face of Jamaica because the studies that we're seeing now we're showing that at the turn of the 21st century the region is becoming more aged as a matter of fact the largest population of persons living living of persons aged 60 and over are now living in our region so it means that as a region we are possibly the fastest growing aging population about the place if that is so our entitlement programs we'll soon be taking over the budget. If that is so, it means that we need to be, be thinking about how we're going to be supporting through the NIS funding, through retirement benefits, hospital care, whatever it is, how we're going to be supporting this group that has taken over is almost overnight. And now a word from our sponsors. Run! 
Insurance from JNGI, it's free the easy way. Helping you on your journey. One low monthly payment back to value time to talk to JN. With a JN Auto Loan. JN, we'll help you find a way. We want to help you mark every milestone. Celebrate the joy of living. Cheers to the best in life. Drink and live responsibly. A message from Red Stripe, part of the Heineken Company. generation to generation. Jamaicans have depended on JN Bank to make the pride and joy of providing a safe place for their families possible. Now, with no processing fees and no down payment mortgage options, you can open the door to your own sweet home, a legacy to hand to your next generation. Visit JNBank.com to get pre-approved today. JN Bank will help you find a way. Welcome back to our podcast. Well, listening to your doc, it takes us back to the earlier point you made. Maybe we have to look at the the economic model, yes. look at the whole power equation, because is it that we appear to be growing socioeconomically um, based on some figures, but in terms of just the, the social relations, and the and the, the wealth distribution. <laughs> I saw like I saw like the seventies no way. Um is maybe something is just that's out of work. And 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 therefore the whole matter of um yes people getting you know the with the aging population but aging without any kind of um sup, um pension arrangement and full support and so on. And we are asking um uh, a middle I would say lower middle, middle income country uh, to fund that. So as we, as we at this juncture look to going forward on your vision, what kind of economic arrangement do you think we need to be looking at then if we, if we are going to um, address some of those, um, what should I say, emerging um, social, social issues and challenges? I'm no economist. I leave that for the economist. But uh, from an economic perspective, I think a number of, of, of the things that we look at, we probably have to look at them from the perspective of scale. Because if we understand, if we look through a spatial lens and we understand scale, then a number of the problems that we are faced with, we can better, we can better address. Because when we look at the, at, from a global perspective, and we, we tend to see a number of these challenges at the global level. So even our economic challenge, we see it at a global level. Then to some extent, we can superficially discuss them. You know? To some extent, we can say it government should and whomever should, and we're not seeing the, the micro within it. We're not seeing the individuals within the equation. And therefore our development to some extent could be bordering on a development of exclusion if we are not mindful of what of how the very poor amongst us are not managing we are seeing too many persons in our society today who are 
economically disenfranchised, economically distressed, frustrated. And note, you know, and people who are unable to find work, but note that we're not talking necessarily about persons who, who have not passed through the educational system and probably even at the highest level. We're talking about persons who have done the right thing. They, they were the obedient ones. They went to school. They did everything that they needed to do. But right now, they are underemployed, yet very much educated. Because to some extent, some portions of our systems have, have been failing. So it's an economic model that must foreground the local. We have to look again at how we build entrepreneurship within our society. We have to, I mean, just over COVID period, over this period, I've seen so many new emerging uh, companies, mainly skincare companies, something, you know, that, that's happening. So something is, is, is happening because a number of these young persons have decided to take the bull by the horn and they are not going out there to look jobs because they cannot find it, they say. So they're creating their own jobs. So we're seeing all of these entrepreneurship spirit taking up, but then there is the other set of persons where the where they're creating the wealth is quite questionable you know and with that comes certain values where are these values where, where were these values shaped and that is a part of what we need to be understanding because once societies change then the value structure that support the society will also change and if we're not following the change if we're not understanding what's creating the changes then before we know it we are at war and i mean yeah. critical yeah. civil civil serious um civil war within any any society because you're yeah. going to be having these clashes always taking place between the haves and the have not between those who are in power and those who are in authority between those who think that this the state is is not treating them well that the state is not understanding and, and not being responsive to their needs and i don't think we're having this the types of conversations so, that we need to be having so your, your your thesis um seems to be that there needs to be we must have a conversation Yes, Part yes. of your vision is that we're going to need to have a conversation. And as you said, not just for the next 10 years, mm -hmm. but for the next 50 or 60. Yeah. Because so many factors have come in since independence. Mm -hmm. And we're almost looking at, well, not almost, you're saying we're looking at a different Jamaica uh, with some chat, with a lot of challenges. And we need to have a conversation. Something interesting you said earlier at the start, you said that um, people with the power are not the one exercising it because they're, they're other influencers, <laughs> you know? And uh, that's, that's interesting. But when you, when you say that you want to just, ex can, you, can you expone that some more? Where do you think these other influence, uh, influences are coming from? We see them in the society every day. We hear it over the airwaves, whether through our music or okay. through social media. 
you know, we have an idea as to who are the persons who are influencing persons within the society. And they will tell you a lot of the times that the structures that were put in place, education as an equal opportunity, influence in itself, that that isn't yeah. working. Yeah. You know, they have to find other means of getting what it is that they want. You hear a number of them saying, even if you do offer them a job, you know, what is being paid versus what they can receive doing what it is that they do best. You know, there's no comparison there. So why should they come into the formal economy? You know, so we, we're not, it's not just two Jamaicans. We have Jamaica within a Jamaica within a Jamaica. And it's not that we don't know, but I think sometimes the truth is inconvenience or outlook and okay. instead of the truth becoming what would you call it now like an inflection point for us to make adjustments it is possibly easier to carry on on this path but for, for how long we're really not as much as we have many things that we can be proud of there are some fundamental things that really must be addressed uh, as an as an educator, and we and we're going we're going to close shortly. As an educator, um, where does education, what role does it play in your in this transformation that you're arguing about, and and this coming together? Is there a place for education? Education is at is at the center. You know, just as so we we have to think through the health system. I mean, I lift my hats off to our healthcare workers, we just celebrated health, their healthcare workers. And I see the Herculean task, you know, that is a, a, been a, achieved. The minister, his team, I, I, I see that. But healthcare is broken. Education, you know, the trend now is, you know, education is a commodity to be bought, sold, to be traded. So why we, commodify education. We're recognizing that that experience that comes from learning, you know, wherever that learning is taking place, doesn't have to be within the school environment or wherever the learning is taking place. That, that experience, that growing intellectually, that process of just maturing, of being, of becoming, you know, of being even a better person, because that, that's what education also does, of, of teaching us tolerance, you know. For some reason, probably it's the pace at which the world is, is spinning, the pace at which things have to, to turn over for it to be economically viable. You know, we have been stamping on this wine press for a while, you know, running like hamsters on the treadmill. And that tends to cut down the time that's spent in the classroom to marinate and to think and to challenge and to get challenged, you know, by your peers and your students in, in, in thinking and in thoughts. I don't know if there's if, if, if it is that this new world is saying that there's no need, no, no place here for theorizing and, and thinking anymore, you know. To some extent, I've, I, you know, just, just listening to what 
educators are saying. I remember speaking to a young enough educator, male educator recently, and he was saying that they're having a challenge in the classroom with applying methods, not so much content, but the new generation, you know, generation Z and this alpha digital generation coming up. They don't know how to teach them. They don't know how to, to, to reach them in, in, in the classroom. You know, just given where we are, where technology is concerned. You can't get anything you want online. You don't, you don't need teachers necessarily to, to, to for content. But what we are realizing is that Comprehension is scarce. Persons <laughs> is not understanding. <laughs> and finding an appropriate avenue to transfer knowledge, that's beating us at all levels of the education system. And I don't see the teacher colleges, the teacher education colleges across the island, I don't see any of them really distinguishing themselves as they used to. Mm -hmm. Where are the methods, processes uh, that are being conceived not, right. that are appropriate to engage this new digital generation? We right. have to find a measured approach to dealing with the challenge. You know, Some of our schools, I'm, I'm thinking, that they're being led by professionals who are possibly light years behind the students in technology competence. And, needs to, and need, they need to go back to school. Yes, they need to go back to school. And if we're going to be foresighting and or educational leaders cannot imagine what the next 30 years could look like. Then how can we prepare persons who are more than likely going to be around for that period than the current leaders who we have right now? You know? <laughs> I'm happy to see that, that you, you have students who are still choosing teaching as a profession, but the inconvenient truth is that some of the persons who I'm seeing as teachers know that they, they neither have the attitude nor the aptitude for the profession nor to deal with this new generation. I see so many things flying around it on social media, teacher-student relationship. And something is, is drastically wrong. But I digress, I digress. It is <laughs> our, our educational institutions that we will be able to improve and expand the quality of the labor force. It is through our educational institution that we will be able to improve the quality of our human capital. So governments should realize that public schools alone cannot do this sort of training. You know, we need diverse educational and training institutes, especially those that will, will take on technology now and not just mainly theory. You know, and our private institutions need to be treated better. Our private institutions, when you look at an NCU, for example, a UCC, when you look at any of these private universities or even private institutions at the lower levels, had they not been in place, Jamaica could not be where it is now. Yet still, some of the benefits that public sector schools receive Private sector schools, private schools don't get those. You know, private schools don't get those. So we have to treat our, our, our private schools better. We have to be careful that we're not practicing. Yeah. Even though unintentionally, you know, social this social development of exclusion. You mean you mean education apartheid? 
Yes, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. I, I think going forward, there, there, there needs to be this, this, this distinction between um, public and private education providers needs just to, to be theory. And in fact, in real life, uh, we should have a system where, where, where learners are just free to easily move across, seamlessly across either the, um, the sectors. Because, oh, yes. because education has to be a team effort by, by, by all sectors of the economy. I think that's what we're going to need going forward into the, um, into the, next, the next age. The, as you guys call it, what, the fourth revolution? In the fourth revolution, so it must be yeah. the fifth. Must be the, must be the fifth one. Dr. Shah, we could go on for the next um, two hours. Before we move yeah. on to the, before we don't move on to the next two hours, we need to understand that edu the, the school sector, you know, the education sector is a is a primary agent of socialization. That is where children are taught things about authority and about their country and about nation building and civics and all these other stuff. And if our schools lose it. If our schools stop doing those things, then you can imagine this, the, where Jamaica is going to be in another few years. That's where we learn our national anthem. It wasn't at home. That's where you learn about granny nanny. It wasn't at home, you know. So there are a number of things that we need to just revisit where schools are concerned. Thank you. Thank you much for speaking to us on impacting Jamaica, our independence um, series, Dr. Sharp. Thank you very much. You have just come to the end of another episode of Impacting Jamaica, the Independence Edition. Do join us again for another in the series on SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Spotify, Audible, Podcast Addict, or on Stitcher. Impacting Jamaica, the Independence Edition, is powered by JN Bank. <laughs>